District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Welcome to episode 155 of District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. Today we are departing a little bit from regular programmatic scheduling to bring an interview that I just conducted with Discovery Plus host Ian Shive, who is a photographer, author, film and television producer, conservationist, and innovative businessman who has been praised as a, quote, leading chronicler of America's national parks. And he hosts the new program on Discovery Plus, debuting today called The Last Unknown. And he largely focuses on the Aleutian Islands in Alaska, way, way, way up north if you are a geography whiz. But if you don't know the region, you get to know more about it through our conversation. I will link to all of Ian's information and programmatic notes relating to the show in the link show notes. But this is a really cool conversation. I usually never get approached to talk to TV hosts, not recently, but it was cool to see Ian's producer reach out and request to speak. And we had a great conversation. We talked about wildlife photography, exploring wanderlust, and some other cool things. So here's my conversation with Ian Shive, host of The Last Unknown on Discovery+. Plus. This is not a paid advertisement, of course, just an interview I conducted, and I think you guys will enjoy it. All right. I am joined by Ian Shive, host of the new Discovery Plus program, The Last Unknown, and he's going to talk about his background and what viewers can expect. Ian, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast and also for this simultaneous uh, broadcast as well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. Of course. Why don't you talk about your background and how you got involved in this line of work? Well, you know, it's it's a, a progression, a gradual progression. You don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to go to the most remote place on earth, though it kind of went that way for this project. Um, you know, I, I started close to home. You know, I, I started my career as a photographer working in our national parks. And so I was really passionate about uh, about places that people didn't really know that were part of places that seemed extremely familiar to them. So a lot of people were going to Yellowstone, Yosemite, and and they knew the El Capitans and Half Domes and, and their Old Faithfuls and the icons of the national parks. And I really wanted to show not only those, of course, I love all those kinds of things, but I wanted to show that they're more than that, especially if you get off the roads and down the trails and show the lesser known parts of our public land and water system. And so that really was the beginning of, of my journey was that that photographic approach. Because um, I think a lot of other people, certainly when I first started uh, many, many years ago, you know, they were mostly focused on the icons. A lot of photographers were looking for, you know, those iconic calendar shots, but they weren't thinking about what might exist in the backcountry or what a lake might look like, you know, way in one of the most remote parts of Yellowstone. And so I kind of became known as the person who saw the lesser known parts of these protected areas. And that caught the eye of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service who said, well, gee, we're kind of lesser known in general, uh, you know, with the shadow of the National Park Service being so incredible uh, as it is, because it's known, of course, around the world and an idea that's been exported around the world. And they said, maybe through your lens and your work, we can kind of show and share with people all the great things that are part of the National Wildlife Refuge System. And so, that journey began almost a decade ago and began uh, here in California at Guadalupe and Dipomo Dunes National Wildlife Refuge, which is 
uh, just a few hours north of Los Angeles and really, really beautiful. And, and immediately I realized that there was this entire system, this entire network of public land and water that I didn't know existed. And it was absolutely exquisite. A lot of it in many ways to me was almost uh, more wild and more rugged than a lot of the places I had been and certainly in the parks. Um, and it just opened uh, an entire creative channel for me that I, I just was eager to explore. And it just kept getting more and more remote and I ended up working um, I think one of the biggest projects that really sort of changed my, my, uh, my path in going into really extremely remote places was working on the Pacific uh, coral atolls, uh, which are also part of the National Wildlife Refuge System and, and part of what are called the Marine National Monuments. It's sort of a double designation um, and, and levels of protection. And so I spent a lot of time on those remote coral atolls. Some of them are like, you know, 10 minutes to walk around one little island. It's They're tiny, tiny, tiny little places, um, but magnificent, uh, well, tiny sand places, but the oceanic areas are actually some of the largest places on earth that are protected. And so um, I began doing that. And then one thing led to the next and we ended up saying, well, let's go to the Aleutian Islands. So here we are uh, sharing that with the world on Discovery. That's very cool. And um, I'm not so familiar with uh, how this streaming service is going, but is your program going to have a lot of episodes? Are you going to di divert kind of from the Aleutian Islands as well? Well, we, the, the one hour, so it's a one hour doc, it's a special, mm -hmm. uh, and it, um, so that's the, that's like the main event, but we also do have some other, uh, short form episodes that are accompanying that. So there will be some other adventures, including to the Pacific Coral Atolls. Um, so there are some, there's some other things for people to look at there. Going back to the Aleutian Islands, I think many people um, who are kind of very curious about geography, I remember hearing about this from my parents. My family is from Eastern Europe and you often hear about the Aleutian Islands and kind of their history and, and Russia's involvement. And I love the fact that you included some history behind it about, I think it was Japanese warfighters who were in bank yeah. there. You talked about some of the different unique species. I forget which one it was. One of the birds, really adorable. Um, I forget what it was that oh, you- Oh, is that, are you talking about the oplets with the little- no, I'm sorry, yeah, the oplets, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yes. yeah. <laughs> I was just so interested in the fact that they're so isolated and yet um, not so predisposed to, uh, I guess, kind of like having the same features you would find on kind of the mainland uh, here. But, but that species was so interesting. But what was your- uh, impression of that, the fact that it's kind of isolated and you find these different types of examples of biodiversity there and also the history too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the whole, that whole part of the, of the, of the, um, Alaska and of the country is, is defined by its remote isolation. And so whether it's wildlife or it's world war II, uh, you know, remnants, both of those are sort of preserved. It's almost like a time capsule and in, in, in a way, so you can go and explore uh, uh, Japanese caves that are dug into a hillside with uh, still have, you know, wood and, and bunk beds and areas where they had slept that look like uh, yesterday. I mean, it looks like, you know, going in back in time to 77 years ago or whenever they were dug around then um, during World War II. Uh, and similarly, the wildlife are protected by that same isolation. And so you're looking at, you know, the seabirds, the auklets, which are so cute, you know, with these great little things on their heads and they have bright, bright <laughs> purple or, uh, orange beaks and they look like parakeets, some of them. And like a mix between like a parakeet and a penguin, they're really, really, they're fun to film and they're so quirky and they pull on each other, but you're, you're essentially watching a process that has been happening since the beginning of time in many ways. It's sort of this primordial process. And so the isolation allows all of that to, 
to, to stay. And so while some of the islands have seen World War II, of the 2,500 islands, the vast majority have not. Um, but it is, it is interesting to, to have that opportunity to look at something that is uh, so well-preserved. But it also is a, it's, the, it's what also I think makes it, um, you know, it's a point, it kind of makes it poignant, a point or salient point to uh, protect places like that because there are so few of them left. Um, you know, there's this one point in the show we actually see a B-24 bomber where it crashed during World War II, which is, and it's mostly intact. Um, and it's one of only two in the world that are like that in situ where it crashed from the war. Um, and to, to be able to, to see that, walk up to it, and experience it is um, a really profound, uh, a profound experience. I mean, you're, you're, you're seeing history right before you essentially. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Most people don't realize actually too, that the Aleutian Islands were involved in World War II. I didn't even know that until I got to spend time out there and realize how intense the battles were. The Battle of Attu, which is the island that is farthest in the chain, um, you know, is is was was a was a huge battle, and in many ways a lot like the Battle of Midway, which tends to get a lot more attention. And so, uh, you know, Alaska definitely saw parts of uh, World War II for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really special region, probably very difficult to traverse. It probably took you a while to to access it and, and to get there. Um, because yeah. they are quite away from Alaska. I haven't been to Alaska, but friends of mine in Alaska tell me they are quite a hike. <laughs> yes. And um, kind of what goes into your process of storytelling? Because what I've noticed in the outdoor industry or conservation writ large is this emphasis on storytelling, which is super effective. But but why do you think that's a great way of getting people to get interested in kind of these remote areas or kind of these lost, unknown parts where all this wildlife is thriving, there's a lot of different history to it. Uh, and do you think it's convincing to, to people to, to watch this program and, and get them to care about preserving certain wild spaces as well? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I see photography and film as a form of visitation. I mean, it's the, it's the most natural way for somebody sitting in you know, anywhere far away, whether that be California or New York or anywhere else in the country, to have a chance to see this. I mean, it's, it's you know, my camera and lens and the team, um, you know, that we put together are essentially going there and bringing it home so people can say, oh, is this part of our protected network of lands and waters? Why is it valuable? Look what takes place here. Um, so it's a way to visit. And it's also a really low impact way to visit, right? I mean, essentially, it has uh, almost no impact on the resource. We go as part of an embedded team of scientists that are already going to conduct research. Um, you know, we have a very small footprint in, in what we do. You know, we follow strict guidelines and always have um, you know, researchers and people that are with us to make sure that we're not having any sort of negative or adverse effect on the wildlife or the environment. Um, and then we bring it home and people get to experience it. And so storytelling in this way uh, is such a powerful tool to share those kinds of places with people. And so, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of it. I think it's really, really important. And these places are connected to us. When you watch these stories and you see these things sort of unfold and you realize that the Northern Fur Seal, that's all the way up in this remote island on an active volcano in Alaska, will travel 3,000 miles and maybe be seen right here off the coast of Los Angeles or on one of our beaches. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's an, an exact connection, right? I mean, they're migrating species. We are connected to them. They are part of our world in, in a lot of our urban areas, whether we recognize it or not. 
I remember seals um, from my time growing up in California too. I grew up in Orange County, not too far from where you're at. And uh, that was a really interesting site. And I remember hearing about their migration patterns and it was so cool to see them uh, in the program, in the preview you guys provided for me and and just to see how flourishing they are and kind of how they have these crazy mating habits and and just all these different interesting facets to them. I think probably people listening and watching They see how fun it is to be an outdoor photographer. I've befriended a lot of outdoor photographers myself. I consider myself an amateur one. I'm nowhere near (laughs) National Geographic or anything. But I've invested a lot in the Sony platform, the Sony Alpha, the big wildlife lens. And for me, I find it to be like a great, yeah, creative expression format. And I want to do more of that myself. But I bet people watching see a seasoned professional like yourself and they may be wondering how can I become a outdoor photographer or wildlife photographer? What advice would you have for those people watching or listening? Um, Well, that's great. It's fun to hear that you're, you're pursuing it as well and have the big lenses. It's certainly uh, fun to to get close to the wildlife from, you know, the comfort of distance, especially of what you're, depending on what you're photographing. But I mean, I think a lot of people put a ton of pressure on going far away. I think they're like, oh, I've got to go to Africa and see the Great Migration, or I need to, uh, you know, go to maybe Yellowstone, which could be far away for for a lot of people. Um, but you really don't. I mean, I think there's just so many opportunities and incredible stories in in people's backyards. Um, even even the National Wildlife Refuge System, the place that is featured in this show, and it may be remote in Alaska. There are things called urban wildlife refuges. And so right within Denver city limits, you can go to a wild refu- wildlife refuge and see bison. Um, right within New Orleans city limits, you can go out and see alligators and all of these really cool little wildlife things that are that are taking place um, there in, in those uh, in those um, grasslands and wetlands. And so there's there's you know, Philadelphia, they, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, um, Los Angeles, the LA River and, and San Diego, they, they all have wildlife opportunities. And so I really encourage people to seek out the ones that are close to home, really tell the story that's close to home, you know, really master that, be, be great at that. And then you can grow your footprint on what you photograph uh, and, and tell stories about from there. That is so true. I was able to see uh, Virginia's Elkhart. I'm in the DC metro area now. And just to see them flourishing, I I took photos of them on my old Canon um, EOS T6 platform, but it was still so cool to see them and just see them flourishing and and see that herd burgeoning. And and that's maybe six to seven hours for me, but it was still so cool to see, like there's impeccable wildlife selections uh, wherever you may go. And I try to photograph the foxes that come from my backyard and also white (laughs) kill deer. There's a lot of cool, cool wildlife, um, obviously flora, fauna, birds, a lot of things to photograph. So you're absolutely correct in uh, doing that. And, and that's great advice. Is there anything else you'd like to plug in about the program, your photography efforts, how people can dis- can access Discovery Plus and, and learn more about the program? Sure. Well, yeah. Discovery Plus, March 18th, uh, is, is the premiere of our show. And that's today, right? So we're really excited to, to have it come out. And, um, and, and for people to experience this opportunity, I mean, it's, it's an unprecedented opportunity. No one has really ever been to this place as a commercial photographer and filmmaker in these places and to share these stories. So I really hope that they check it out. And the other thing is, um, you know, we have an incredible digital series. So there's some behind the scenes stories and other places and adventures that we've gone on as part of nature and focus. So definitely check out discovery.com slash nature and focus and watch those episodes as well, because they're, they're, they're a lot of those are like our day to day 
you know, we're not always in the Aleutian Islands, but we might be here in California chasing comet neowise or, you know, looking for the oldest trees in the world or the oldest tree in the world or, you know, whatever other adventure. I think I got to hold the California condor not long ago, one of the most endangered species. Yeah, it was super, super cool. So I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, there's all these different stories and different pieces that people can experience. And, you know, it adds just a layer of dimensionality to, um, you know, to, to what we're, what we're trying to tell about nature and about the natural world in general. So, uh, yeah, I hope people really enjoy it. And I, I appreciate you sharing it with your audience as well. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, apart from what I like to focus on, on the, in the nature space, I love watching documentary style programs. I always have as a kid, I used to look through different books of different uh, animals. My grandpa gave me something like that. So I've always been curious about the natural world as a adventurist myself, but it's yeah. been such a pleasure talking to you, Ian. I wish you success in this program. I will certainly direct my listeners and followers to check it out. I think this brings some much needed levity and some escapism uh, in yeah. these crazy times, COVID, whatever is happening. So thank you yeah. so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for tuning to the podcast today. I'll return to regular programming schedule on Monday when I am back from Florida, but I hope you enjoyed this slight departure from regular content here. I thought it would bring some levity, some interest to you all, especially if you like watching nature programs and so much more. And like I mentioned, if you're interested in Ian's show and you have Discovery Plus, I encourage you to watch it. If you don't have the subscription service, you can go check it out. All links are in the show notes for you to find and learn more. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. Head over to Apple Podcasts to leave us some reviews, your thoughts, your feedback, and make sure you can leave those five-star reviews there. If you have any guest suggestions or thoughts or want to hear things on the podcast, let me know. I'm all ears. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, everyone.